In this episode, we are talking with Lauren Karras, Director of Education for the Nancy and David Wolf Holocaust and Humanities Center, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Holocaust and anti-Semitism can be difficult topics to discuss with students, but Lauren has some insights to share. You can access the resources that she talks about at the center's website. The link is in the notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Building Knowledge Podcast. Today, I have with me a really great guest. I'm so excited for us to talk. Her name is Lauren Karras, and Lauren is from the Nancy and David Wolf Holocaust and Humanities Center, which is located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the program, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm really happy to be here. So I always love to start off with letting our listeners know a little bit about our guests. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the Holocaust and Humanity Center and what your role is there. Sure. So again, my name is Lauren Karras. I'm the Director of Education at the Nancy and David Wolf Holocaust and Humanity Center. And I'll talk about all the work that we do at the center here in a moment. My background is a classroom. I was a classroom teacher. I was a classroom social studies teacher, high school social studies teacher um, for almost a decade um, here in Cincinnati. I taught all there is to teach. I taught world history, U.S. history, AP U.S. Gov, AP Comparative Gov, women's studies, world issues, um, a variety of topics. And when I felt like um, my time in the classroom that I was, you know, uh, feeling like I was ready for a change, but I knew that I didn't want to leave education, but I knew that I also didn't want to be an administrator. So it's tricky for teachers who like are trying to figure out, you know, the next steps in their career, but know that, you know, um, being in the classroom for 35 plus years maybe isn't for them, but still want to be connected to the education space. Um, and this opportunity came up at uh, the Holocaust and Humanity Center. Um, I started as the education outreach manager and have, over my two years here, grown into um, a position of leadership. And so um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, who we are at the Nancy and David Holocaust and Humanity Center and then what my role is here um, uh, as the director of education. So first, I'll just say for people who are listening who are Ohioans or are from the Cincinnati area, you will know this building. We are located in a historic and iconic, if I do say so myself, um, kind of like Cincinnati landmark, and that is the Union Terminal. Um, And the Union Terminal is a historic train station. It is a um, art deco train station that was built, started construction in 1929, finished in 1933 and was a bustling train station during World War II, one in five service members walked through this train station that I'm sitting in right now um, on their way to being deployed. Um, And it was kind of seen as the gateway to the Midwest in many ways. It is a beautiful train station. I would encourage your listeners to Google it so you can see an image. It has this gorgeous half half dome rotunda Um, And all of these original murals um, that are made out of these like tiny little pieces of tile. And it's just a beautiful space to work in. After, you know, trains kind of uh, passenger trains kind of fell by the wayside, the Union Terminal went through a few different iterations. um, But in the 1990s, it became the Cincinnati Museum Center. 
And so we are here with the Cincinnati Museum Center. We're a separate institution. The Cincinnati Museum Center has Cincinnati's History Museum, Children's Museum, and our Natural History Museum. And we share a space with them. And so I'll talk about uh, just for a minute, like why we're here, why this building is important to us. So we have been an organization for over 20 years. We have occupied different spaces around the city of Cincinnati. But in 2019, we moved into Historic Union Terminal. And for us and the survivors that we work with, this was really a homecoming because this is the train station where Holocaust survivors arrived via train in the 1930s and 40s, taking their first steps to rebuilding their lives as Cincinnatians and becoming Americans. And so um, we tell this history through that local lens of the survivors that we highlight in our museum many of whom came through this building, right? Um, and so we are the only Holocaust museum in the country that has this positive, authentic connection to our space. Um, and so everything that, you know, if you come to our museum, all of the survivors, liberators, rescuers, and then the primary source documents and the artifacts, all of that is local to our community. I I had no idea. I knew that it was in Union Station, but I I really didn't understand the connection. Yeah, and it it makes me almost emotion. It makes me emotional about it because to think that there are people that could visit there, that their ancestors came through there in different ways. Whether, like you said, whether they were soldiers who eventually became the liberators and rescuers yes. of these Holocaust survivors, and then the survivors themselves. Wow, that. That just blows me away. Um, Kristen, can I actually add something yes. to that? To your point, you know, I think going along with the kind of like what we do here at the center, we have thousands of school kids come through our museum every year. We have a five-year partnership with Cincinnati Public Schools where every freshman student from all 16 high schools comes through our museum. And so that I, that kind of feeling that you have of like, wow, this is, when we think of the Holocaust, it's a global history, right? But it actually has very local implications. And so I think that, you know, a 15-year-old living in 2023 thinks of the Holocaust, they think Europe, across the ocean, so far away. And what our museum really tries to do is to localize, personalize, and humanize this history so that students come and they're like, oh, wait, these people in this museum, a handful of which are very much still alive and talking to students, so that means that it's not, it didn't happen that long ago, right, are actually like my neighbors. They're, you know, they lived on my street. They're the teachers and lawyers and doctors and business owners in my community. They've had an impact on my city. And so it, I think it makes the history um, feel... Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to say more relevant, but just more real to them. No, absolutely. I, re I remember. So um, I'm originally from the Detroit area. And I remember going in with a friend of mine. We were high schoolers to get our nails done um, for, for prom. And the woman next to us who was getting her nails done had a tattoo with the with her numbers on it. And it was like so jarring that. I mean, they are your neighbors. They, yes. they are people that are part of your community. And some, thank goodness, some are still alive to be able to tell their story to the next generation of students that feels almost disconnected from it, to your point. Totally. And, you know, we've had um, 
Europeans, scholars, speakers, et cetera, who are in Cincinnati to give a talk come through our space and have admitted to us, we were kind of wondering, like, what's a Holocaust museum doing in Cincinnati, Ohio? Like, this is even this is even your history. It's our history, right? And as being, you know, Europeans. And one of them said to us at the end of a tour, you know what? I get it now because we have the places, but you have the people. Right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. We have the places, you have the people. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah. So I'd love to talk about what kind of educational resources you have available to teachers as well as school leaders. Yeah. So we have a variety of educational resources and programming that we offer um, to support teachers and administrators, um, either in, in the Cincinnati area or, you know, people even who aren't local. So I mentioned our field trips, and obviously that's people who are very local to Cincinnati who have the opportunity to come here on a field trip. Um, and I'll get to our curricular resources in a moment, but if you don't have, if you, you know, you're living um, across the country and you're like, this place sounds really neat and I would love my students to see this interior, we do have on our curricular resource page a 360 tour and activity that is essentially a virtual tour um, that with an activity uh, that accompanies it. It has video and audio kind of like walking students through the space um, and so that they can kind of get a sense for for our museum and the stories in our museum. So field trips, huge. We also have, again, that virtual field trip resource. Um, We have a speakers bureau where we send local survivors and their family members out into the community to share their story. We also do that virtually during the pandemic. Our survivors got um, very adept at zoo at using Zoom to zoom into classrooms, um, and and as well as you know, two uh, G or their their sons and daughters of survivors have have also adapted in that way. So now our speakers bureau can really be, you know, if you're someone who is interested in having a speaker in your classroom and you're in Tennessee, we can still facilitate that for you, right? Um, we also offer a variety of youth programming. Our youth programming, we're the Holocaust and Humanity Center. So our programming um, for youth and curricular resource-wise also focuses on that humanity piece, which is always steeped in the history. I don't want to talk about them like they're two separate things. Um, but our humanity-focused education resources really focus on having students discover, um, we use something called the VIA character strengths. That's V-I-A. The VIA Institute is located here in Cincinnati. They essentially, and it just so happened that they're here in Cincinnati, but they do global research and they've essentially spearheaded the field of positive psychology starting in the early 2000s. They identified 24 character strengths that we all have within us. So these two psychologists were like, we're tired of looking at what's wrong with people. We want to look at what's right with people. So they did all of this resource, like all this research, like across space and time, you know, like what are, what are the unique strengths that human beings possess? And some of them are signature strengths. And those are the ones that become really, that come really easily to you. And so there's a quiz that you can take, a survey that you can take to figure out where your strengths land. So we use those character strengths in our museum, in our humanity gallery, and also in our outreach um, and programming with youth to talk about like, how are you uniquely positioned to be an upstander, to stand up when the moment calls 
and to make a change in both big and small ways. And we also define being an upstander here at the Holocaust and Humanity Center as someone who stands up for others, but also someone who stands up for themselves. So how can you use your character strengths that you you already have the power, right? You already have this within you. Um, how can you make sure that you harness those strengths to to being an upstander? So we have some curricular resources around upstander um, and character strength, the upstander and character strength work that we do. And so even schools that are like, you know, we have, we're a small history department and our world history teachers only spend two days teaching the Holocaust. Like we can't really like, you know, we're not going to have you in to lead a five-day PD on teaching the Holocaust, but actually something that's really transferable to everybody's contacts is like your humanity-focused programming um, because everyone is interested in, you know, creating a community of upstanders and raising this next generation of upstanders and change makers. And so that's another facet of our work. And then the last thing I'll say around what we, as far as the educational resources that we offer, we do, of course, offer professional development for teachers in these areas of both Holocaust and humanity education. Um, and uh, we sometimes do that in a hybrid fashion. So teachers from across uh, the country could join. Um, but mostly um, kind of as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're trying to do that in person. And we are having our um, kind of like cornerstone PD. Um, it's called the Roma and Sam Paltman Teacher Fellowship, where teachers join like a cohort of teacher leaders who are dedicated to Holocaust education. That is kicking off this fall here at Historic Union Terminal on November 10th and 11th. Um, and then there'll be also some learn more learning opportunities for those fellows throughout the school year. So that's kind of like an, in a nutshell um, what, what we do uh, in that education space here at the Holocaust Center. I, I encourage everybody to go to the website because, and don't think, um, oh my gosh, I don't live in the Cincinnati area. I don't live in Ohio. There's no way that I can even, you know, utilize these resources because even if you're not within driving distance, there are some great resources they can access. And I'd love if you could just highlight those a little yeah. further. Yeah. So um, we have, like I said, as far as like speakers, that is something that we could absolutely do virtually um, for your classroom. And then we have um, a variety of curricular resources. I'll say that, you know, that are, you know, I think, transferable to a lot of different contexts. We are not you know, United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. that has, you know, all of this um, amazing funding to create an amazing Holocaust curriculum. Um, I would also, I'm going to plug them too. If you're looking for resources, you should check out the United States Holocaust Museum Memorial Museum's um, resources as well for a comprehensive curriculum. But I think what we've done as we've taken some specific topics um, that um, are sometimes difficult for teachers to figure out, how can I make this digestible for a, a middle school or high school student? And we've tackled them head on. And so one resource that I think, you know, is transferable, whether you live in Ohio or not, to any context, we developed a resource, a curricular resource called What is Anti-Semitism and Why Does It Matter Today? 
And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, hopefully addressing anti-Semitism in your school communities here in a moment. But um, this is a newer resource for us. What I love about it, anti-Semitism is so complex and so tricky each. Um, and, and we can talk about why if you want here in a moment. But what I love about this, this um, resource is I think in a really accessible way, it um, traces anti-Semitism, looks at historical anti-Semitism dating all the way back, and then goes through the Nazi era and then also talks, and I think this is crucial when talking about anti-Semitism, we don't want students to think that anti-Semitism ended when the Holocaust ended, right? And so anti-Semitism is still very much, unfortunately, um, alive in, in our contemporary context. You just have to like look at the internet for two seconds to see that. Um, and so this lesson brings it to a contemporary context and talks about how anti-Semitism manifests um, in, 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 a, in our local community today. I think that's a really relevant topic that any teacher, no matter where you live, could use. I already mentioned our 360 tour and activity so that you can you and your students can take a virtual tour of our museum. And then the other just two, two lessons that I'll highlight really quickly, we believe in the power of inquiry uh, here at the Holocaust and Humanities Center, asking big questions, presenting students with primary source documents and having them grapple with those and do the work of real historians to try to figure out, you know, how can we answer this question? How can we collect evidence and how can we write a claim? And so we have two really nice inquiry lessons. One, the inquiry question is how, why didn't you just leave? Um, which follows the story of one family. And it's truly just, I mean, if you're thinking about why we even do Holocaust education, it's about develop empathy and critical thinking in our students. This lesson really gets at both of those skills, um, follows, following the story of one family, the story of the Tutman family. And then we also have another inquiry lesson called Breaking the Myth, How Jews Resisted During the Holocaust, which is another one where students are looking at a variety of sources and coming to a conclusion. Um, and then I'll just add, just let your you know let your visitors visit our resource or visit our curricular resource page on our website. But we also have upstander activities, um, and we also have an activity that um, pairs well with nights as well. If you're reading that in your classroom, again, and for such a small museum, I was so incredibly impressed with the different resources that you had. Um, and the variety. And I love the humanities piece and, yeah. and how, how you how you've been able to partner with Via. Um, so finally, I want to talk about. There may be teachers out there and you've touched on this, they're not going to specifically teach about the Holocaust, um, but. I would really love for you to talk more about how they can help students understand what anti-Semitism is and how they can stand up against it, because it's a it can be a really tricky topic. It, it's kind of an uncomfortable space for a lot of teachers, especially in the political yes. climate now. And yeah. I think your research, your resource does a great job of this. So if you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So first I'll say, um, and again, I was a classroom teacher for 10 years. I know that the, that you never have enough time, right? You have all these standards, you never have enough time. And, and it, you, you struggle with that feeling like you can't do any topic, like fully the just, give it the justice that maybe it deserves. 
But I will say like, I would encourage teachers before jumping in with their students to, you know, unpacking anti-Semitism and what is anti-Semitism and how does it manifest? I, I think a key way to scaffold that discussion is first talking about who are the Jewish people? What, what does it mean to be Jewish, right? A lot of people think of when they think of Jews, they think it's a religion and that's true, but it's all, it's everything's more complex, right? And so it's really an ethno religion, right? And there are Jews of all different uh, colors and uh, from all different places around the world, right? In every country. Um, And so Jewish identity is really complex and we don't need to necessarily bog our students down with too much, but they should understand what it is to be Jewish. Because if you don't understand who the Jewish people are, then it becomes challenging to to understand if something is anti-Semitic or not, right? So I would encourage teachers, wherever wherever it makes sense, to talk about who the Jews are, even outside of this like religious sphere, that it's also an an ethno-religion that they have, you know, you know, uh, 3,500 years of, of a shared history, right. And culture, um, that, that they identify with. Um, and so I think no matter what you're teaching, again, I just said they have a 3,500 years, uh, years of history. We can find some way to work in somewhere in, 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 in Ohio that they take, um, in seventh grade, they take, um, it's like ancient history, like to like the age of exploration or something, you know? And so when, if you're teaching ancient history and talking about those earlier times, um, you know, we can obviously work Jewish history into that. And the last thing I'll say before I get to the anti-Semitism piece is, you know, and again, I know this is so challenging um, and we're all just doing our best out there, like, you know, teaching, you know, with the time and energy um, that we have, and there's all this politics around it. But we always also recommend before we look at a group through the lens of the oppressor, right? Like if we're looking at um, the Holocaust, for example, before we dive in and look at anti-Semitic propaganda from the Nazi era, that we're first looking at Jews, not through the lens of the oppressor, but as who they really were and looking at Jewish life before the war. Again, understanding who are the Jewish people and looking at them through a lens of joy and celebrating um, the rich diversity of Jewish life before we dive into the myriad of ways and in Jewish history, thousands of years of oppression, right? Um, that they have that they have been, um, uh, 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 you know, s- subjects of genocide and expulsion and discrimination, right? Um, but before we get into that, I think it's really important to like center that community as um, people, right? People first um, who have who have their own uh, culture and and joys and all of that, right? So really like humanizing these people. Um, and so now that I've, I'm going to get off that soapbox, um, but um, as far as teaching anti-Semitism is concerned. Like I said, the first thing is to understand who the Jewish people are. And the second thing I think um, that's important to recognize is that um, it's really complex. (laughs) And so I I do encourage um, people who are new to this to actually check out our lesson because I think it breaks it down really, really well. Um, But anti-Semitism is oftentimes referred to as the world's 
oldest or longest hatred because it has this, you know, thousands of years of history. And at first it was anti-Judaism and that morphs into anti-Semitism, which has more kind of like racial overtones um, after time. And so what I like to think about when I think about the complexities of anti-Semitism, and I think this is a metaphor that students could understand Historian Doris Bergen, who does a lot of work around anti-Semitism, refers um, to anti-Semitism as a dust ball. She uses this metaphor as a dust ball. It's something that keeps moving through time and space, constantly collecting new parts, but the old ones are still there. So the dust ball is always changing shape, right? The old layers don't disappear. The nuances just add on. And so what makes anti-Semitism kind of tricky to pin down is because um, it's constantly morphing and changing. And it's constantly contradictory. Um, If we just like zoom in into that, to the, you know, the way that Nazis, you know, in their anti-Semitic propaganda, in one poster, they're accusing Jews of being communists. And in the other poster, they're accusing Jews of being greedy capitalists, right? It doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of the point. Um, I, I think it's it's confusing. And so that makes it hard to kind of like pin down, right? Um, I'll say in a contemporary context, you know, we see anti-Semitism on both the right and the left sides of the political spectrum. Um, on the right, on the far right. white nationalism, Um, if you have the opportunity to have these discussions with students, and again, I know the politics can be tricky, I think it's really important to talk about the intersections of the isms, that racism and anti-Semitism are so closely intertwined, right? And that racism um, and and that anti-Semitism is essentially fed by and is always feeding racism. And when we look at these manifestos of these far-right people that end up doing something horrible, like the shooting in Buffalo or shooting us up a synagogue, what you see is that their manifestos are always laced with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that also lead to then a racist ideology. Because on the far-right, Jews are not considered to be white, right? Complex. Now we're talking about race as a social construct, right? So again, we can see that. Um, uh, but I think I think talking about those isms, especially if you have a lot of students of color in your classroom, making that connection between the isms is a way to build solidarity between groups, right? And then on the on the left, a lot of anti-Semitism manifests around conversations um, around Israel and Palestine. And you can see that if you go on any Instagram page that posts something in solidarity with Jewish people um, or around Holocaust education. I focus I follow a lot of Holocaust education focused um people on Instagram, and they'll be talking about something like the Holocaust. And the comment section is filled with um, uh, people, mostly on the left, who want to talk about the politics of Israel, um, which again, super complex, right? And we can debate um, and criticize the government of Israel all day long. um, But we have to be careful um, where we go with that, because we can tr- we can trend into tread into anti-Semitic waters, depending on how you frame that conversation, right? 
that was a lot. I'll stop there. Um, and, and again, like, uh, I would, I would recommend again, our lesson plan is great. I think the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum also has some introductory lessons on anti-Semitism that really start to like lay the base for students. And the last thing I'll say is I wouldn't be afraid, like, I taught a class for teachers this summer. We did a thing on anti-Semitism with them. They were like, whoa, I never realized like all of like how complex this is. And I've never understood how I could talk about it with my students. And I was scared to talk about it with them. And, and I think the lesson that we created gives them a way to do that. Um, but I think it's also okay to like approach this as a learner yourself. I, if, if we're always afraid of saying the wrong thing, and so then we just don't address anything, that's never going to move the needle, right? And so going into it with like this mindset of like, I'm still learning and I'm going to have these conversations with my students. And if they ask me a question that I don't know, I'm going to reach out. I'm, they can reach out to me, right? Teachers are welcome to reach out to us here at the Holocaust Humanities Center. And, and we're happy to offer that support. I love that because I'm a former classroom teacher myself. And then thinking about, Sometimes it's okay to feel uncomfortable yourself, but do your research, I think is probably a good thing to start with. Um, And then also know that there's lifelines out there. Right. It's okay to to say to your students, you know what, I don't know, but we can find out because I can reach out to an expert. I can reach out to someone that has far more knowledge than what I, I have, um, Thank you so much for sharing all of this with our listeners. Um, I'm going to make sure that there's a link to the Holocaust and Humanities Center um, in the notes so that that everybody can go look at those. Um, And then I believe also they can reach out to you through that because I think that's how I did was through through the email um, Mm -hmm. if they have further questions. So things like that when, when they might get into um, a, a discussion that they might not feel as comfortable with, but they, and they want to know the answer for their students. So, um, again, absolutely. I welcome them to reach out. Yeah. Yeah. Love everything that you do. And thank you again. Thank you, Kristen.